0: Hello and welcome to Oh What A Time, the history podcast that tries to decide if the past was absolutely rubbish. I'm Ellis James. I'm
1: Chris Skull. And I'm Tom Crane. And each week on this show we'll be looking at a new historical subject. And today we're
2: going to be discussing landmarks. Yes, today we have for you Wembley Stadium, Machu Picchu and the Brooklyn Bridge. Very nice. But shall we begin? I, I I started that in an English accent, and then halfway through, I I thought, no, I'm going to try, I'm going to try my Brooklyn. <laughs> I do. I don't think we. Sh- you say, shall we should?
1: Shall we begin? I think we should just focus in on that accent briefly. Um, <laughs> how are you? How are you feeling?
2: That went. Um, do you want to talk me through? <laughs> uh, I wish I'd have pulled the handbrake up on it sooner. Right. Okay. Well,
0: I like that we're hammering Chris for this because the Brooklyn Bridge. Is my topic, and I'm planning on doing the whole thing in, <laughs> in that voice. It's going to be
2: <laughs> pretty, pretty annoying, yeah. Uh, here's, a, here's a fact that I heard recently that I haven't checked, but yes. it sounds like it could be true. Mm-hmm. One of the most famous residents of Brooklyn is uh, Mario the Plumber, Mario, Super Mario. Yes. And do you know when you used to fire up the game Mario, you would say, It's me, a Mario. Yes. Yeah. So you think he's saying It's a me, Mario. It's a me, an Italian accent Yeah, that is what he's saying, isn't it? He's actually saying It's me, Mario. And It's me in J-p- Japanese yeah. means super. So he's saying Super Mario oh. in Japanese. Oh. <laughs> but everybody okay. thinks he's saying It's a me. That's amazing, that is- isn't it? I've got is- that whole my whole life. <laughs> Genuinely a good fact. Well yeah. done and that, I've it. It. that is true That is true <laughs> Where did you hear that Chris That is a good fact I'll give you that I think I heard it Just to prove I'm down with the kids I heard it on TikTok <laughs>
1: You're not following the most current TikTok trends If the stuff you're watching is The loading screens for computer games in the early 90s That's that's the sort of TikTok that you're into I love that
0: Oh my god
1: What other sort of 90s TikTok stuff are you into? How hot a Pop-Tart is? What other things are you finding out On your weird early 90s TikTok searches? I
0: love this John Aldridge TikTok channel That's absolutely
1: brilliant what goes on backstage at Noel Ledman's house party, I'm desperate to know. <laughs> Loads on the pick and mix section at Woolworths. It's all, this is all the sort of stuff that Chris follows on TikTok. Wow, so close to being current, Chris, I loved it. <laughs> so um, we've got a good episode today, I'm excited. Yes. Interesting subjects, uh, but we've also, as always I imagine, got a, a mailbag f- stuffed full of goodies, am I right? Yes, I've
0: got an email in, which incredibly provides us with yet another, I'm probably not a... Uh, a former point, but I would certainly say it's a good idea for a, for a topic. So, hi, loving the pod. Listen to last week's episode on plots. I'm an English and history teacher from North Wales, and I've always loved teaching the gunpowder plot to students, but through a slightly different lens, one which didn't get as much of a mention in the episode.
1: Can I say one quick thing, by the way, Alice? What do you, how do you feel about the fact that we are teaching the teachers? Where does that, where does that put us on the hierarchy, the history hierarchy? I
0: always knew this moment would come.
2: Do you know, what? this is a big one in the eye for Jake Humphrey, who said that his high performance podcast should be on the national curriculum. <laughs> I mean, basically, what we're hearing from teachers is this already is this podcast is already on the national. Curriculum. We are informing the national curriculum. <laughs> the national curriculum has turned to us and said, "What do we do? We're the governing body.
0: We're, we're, we're informing it, and." next season for next year i said next season yet because next season then because i clearly do too many sports podcasts uh They'll be coming to us to be like, we actually think the history curriculum is a little bit stale. What do you suggest? And because it'll be the because it'll be the episode we've just done, we'll be like uh, landmarks. could you do a GCSE in landmarks?
1: We want it to be <laughs> anyway. more fun but less academically rigorous. How can you help us? <laughs> I'm imagining, by the way, El. But um, you know, when we were at school, the teacher would wheel in a massive TV on the downtime yeah. and put that on. Now they wheel in a small digital radio.
0: Oh, they wheel they wheel in an Alexa and they say Alexa play your water time and the kids just sit and listen.
1: The kids go mad with excitement Absolutely and then sit and listen. enchanted.
0: <laughs> okay. The story we all know of November 1605 may well be nothing more than fake news. Hmm. The cells below were owned by Parliament and rented to a known Catholic agitator. The writer of the Montego letter was never proven. The supposed tunnels used to put the powder in place have never been discovered. Ooh. The authorities had complete monopoly over all the powder in the country, and Guido's signed confession is famously a bit sus. All facts point to one thing. A set What All this led me to an idea for a show What hugely famous episodes in history Are likely to be completely false Or what are our biggest misconceptions When it comes to our history As for Britain's greatest format point Take me back to Hastings 1066 To see if poor old Harold Did indeed get an arrow to the eye And put that possible fake news to bed While we're at it too Please never stop making this pod Joe Gilly Joe Gilly is a suspicious bloke isn't he As in he's not suspicious himself he he has suspicions. Sorry, I yes. was slightly misleading there.
1: He's not, not shifty. Yeah. He's not someone you should watch out for. No. Carter Spurgeon's like that on our, on our lovely listeners.
0: This is the point in the uh, history lesson where he turns off Alexa and goes, Right, right, get on with your work. Go on, get your pens out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's fascinating. Can I just say about King Harold getting the arrow in the eye, I do believe that, because I think it's such a specific thing to have said about a battle.
0: Yeah. Also, very unlucky. <laughs>
2: yeah, pretty gross. Yeah. God,
0: can I please just have it in the arm? <laughs> <laughs> the thigh I could handle, but in the
2: bloody eye. I know. I know. And also, if, it was, if, it was, if they were attempting to embarrass him with a rumour like that, surely you're going, he got an arrow in his bum or yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. It went up his bum and came out through his penis. Yeah.
1: That would be 100% the best bit of the a tapestry if that was depicted. <laughs> that would be where all the trips of school kids are gathering around. <laughs> Nobody else is looking at any other bit of the tapestry where there's 4,000 people gathered around the arrow in the butt section. <laughs> The guy who runs a museum trying to move people along. <laughs> Come on. Sir, you've been here for an hour. Every T-shirt
2: in the gift shop would have that on it. There'd be nothing else available in the gift shop. Key rings with the arrow but It would be a bit, even to this day, it would be a big Halloween costume. Everyone walking, all the kids dressed around as a medieval king with an arrow in their bums.
0: Into the bum and out through the penis.
2: Imagine... Medieval kebab. I'm trying to weave that. <laughs> do you think when the Bayeux Tapestry started, you've got? He you started at the very start of the bar. You've got to do the arrow in the bum coming down the penis on you. You've got to do. Yes, I'll get, I will do it.
0: We'll get Jill to do that. She's absolutely brilliant at the more complicated stuff, and she's got a sick imagination.
1: On this, I like the fact that Joe says he's also he's going, he, he's going to go back to see if he gets the arrow in the eye. And I'm imagining a situation where he's just staring at Harold consistently throughout the battle. Harold's saying, stop. Why are you looking? at Stop staring yeah. at my... F- concentrate on the battle. Joe's trying to go, no, there's no reason. No, nothing, don't worry. Nothing's <laughs> going to happen. I'm just... <laughs> what's, your, what's, what's your game? What's your game? Why is he staring at my eye? <laughs> and I'm imagining, as we know as a teacher, he's dressed like a stereotypical teacher with the little yeah. patches on his arms. <laughs> Yeah, all that stuff oh, well that's fascinating so it, it may be that Guy Fawkes is innocent and all this stuff is, is nonsense it, it, it's, that's really an interesting uh, question actually if, if anyone who, any listeners happen to know of any historical facts that they've heard are false do send them in we will check them not that we don't trust you and we'll read them out if they feel believable
0: there's the famous uh pictures of the before and after his torture of his signature isn't there
2: what's that oh my god this this is so vivid in my memory we had a school trip to the tower of london and you see he gets he has to sign something guido forks on his way into the tower of london and then he gets tortured for hours and hours the rack everything and then you see his signature at the end of it and it is barely legible if you've ever seen my signature on
1: uh, one of those things you have to sign when Amazon bring a delivery round, you'd assume I've been tortured for seven to eight hours. It, it bears no resemblance to any word anyone has ever written. Especially when
2: you have to use those little pads. Awful. The, the tiny little pen. DPD's <laughs> register would be full of people who you'd think have been tortured.
1: Are you going to say, I just don't really, but I've now got to a point where I just make any movement. and just go, that, that's it. I just don't, there's no effort. Are you posing for the photos? Um, Yes, I do. And I I sort of smile. It was weird. I don't know why I do that. Oh, I do
0: something a little bit, I do a little cheeky over the shoulder
2: shot. (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever say, send me a copy? Is that just me? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: I need new press shots. I've I've got a history podcast coming up.
2: My mantelpiece is just full of framed pictures of me accepting parcels. <laughs> I, I could not believe
1: how much my son's school photos cost this year. So next year, I'm just going to wait for the Amazon guy to come around, have Charlie ready <laughs> in his school uniform, <laughs> <laughs> sitting in my little stool pretending to read a book, and I'll get it for free. Well, thank you very much for that, for that Joe. That's a, that's a great email. Um, what else have we got, Al?
0: We've got a fantastic one-day time machine. Oh, yes. So here we go. This is from... David Shepherd, Ke origins from Auckland, New Zealand. Love the show, etc. I like that. Just, just pleasantries, but he's 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 done them as quickly as possible. Yeah. <laughs> just a quick one day time machine for me. I would go back to the Stone Age, find the nearest non-threatening caveman, casually and coolly get out my Zippo lighter, perhaps with a toothpick in my mouth. Flick it on without saying anything, flip the lid down and then throw in the lighter followed by a wink and the gun hand gesture. So not only have I become the inventor of fire, I also invented the wink and gun. (laughs) And the gun hand gesture simultaneously becoming the coolest man on the planet. Cheers,
1: Dave. Do you think there was a point when someone inadvertently invented the wink?
2: Genuinely. Wait, what did you just do with your eye there? What was that? That, wasn't, that wasn't a blink. What was that? That was different. Do you ever do you ever wink day to day these days? Yeah,
0: and I'm trying to get out of that habit because I. <laughs> when, when do you wink?
2: Uh, I. I. I, I, I
0: yeah, I've winked. It <coughs> winking was very big in in Wales in the nineteen eighties, and uh, I am beginning yeah. to think I have to accept that <laughs> times have moved on, and now it just looks it just looks weird now.
2: It was big in Essex. It was big in Essex in the eighties, nineties. Like every one of my uncles would say, "Goodbye, be lucky," and then a wink and, a, and a, thumb, a thumb up, but in the middle as they would walk off your drive. Ellis, just briefly describe to me
1: the sort of situations you'd see a wink in Carmarthen in the eighties when you say it was big. What, what, um, when would when, when you see a wink?
0: Every single, especially the men, every single one of my dad's friends would wink. Yeah. So if you did anything vaguely cheeky, anything <laughs> uh, vaguely impressive, they would wink when they said goodbye, they would wink when they made a joke. People winked. <laughs> but but you're, you're talking about um, the wink being invented. The high five was invented. In not quite in our lifetime. I think it was invented in the in the seventies. Really? What? No but one yeah, high but, five. Who? In the seventies. Yeah. Some people suggested I was reading about it that it was the women's volleyball circuit in the sixties. Um, Magic Johnson claims that he invented the high five at <laughs> Michigan State <laughs> uh, in the in the late nineteen seventies. But yeah, the high five is still relatively new.
2: That's incredible. I can't believe it's relatively
1: new. So there was a point. There was a point pre-high five where people that would never. I, for some reason, just assumed that's been around forever. In my mind, like in medieval
2: times, people were high
1: fiving. It's just been a part of sort of culture.
2: Straight after the Battle of Hastings, you're hearing about the arrow in the eye. You're chucking up the high fives. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: Absolutely <laughs> no
2: chance. <laughs> that's unbelievable to me. I can't imagine. even the Second World War. You think no? It was a handshake, you know? wasn't it? A slap on the
1: back. I just never knew it was an invention. That's incredible. Really? And what an important invention. I can't believe how naive you both are. <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing a history podcast with two
0: people who are so naive.
1: <laughs> to quickly go back to our email, I, I really like that idea of the wink and the, and the gun gesture. My only concern there is that the gun gesture isn't going to actually mean anything to the person in the cave, in the cave you're doing it to because the gun has not been invented yet. Yeah. Yeah, good point. So you're just basically pointing two fingers at someone. Maybe that is still cool in its own right. I don't
2: know. Do you know that thing of when you're a kid and you put your arms outstretched and you run around and pretend you're a plane? Yeah, That's like doing that gesture and claiming to have invented the plane. A <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: precursor. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, great
2: emails as, as always. Um, Chris, we have something else that we want to uh, mention, don't we? This is big news, guys. Next Monday, on next Monday's episode, if you're a fan of this podcast, if you love it, if you want even more of it in your life, we've got a big announcement for you. All will be revealed next week. So listen then for a big announcement. Oh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, they're announcing
0: the new history curriculum and the three of us <laughs> it. We did it in a weekend. It's a bit rushed, it's going to be controversial The right-wing press in particular Think it's a
1: retrograde step But we've done it, we've done it, we've done it We've, tell- we've also told them that People can get a-, a-, a tick, a correct mark If they're in the ballpark Answer-wise <laughs> Which I think is quite a fun way of approaching education It should have been done in the past It doesn't have to be exactly right You have to be within the vicinity of the correct yeah. answer And we'll give, yeah. you the- give you the mark
0: History is now a vibe-based GCSE <laughs>
2: Some say we're dumbing down. We say we're making it more accessible. Yes, a big announcement next week. Make sure you're listening. And if you want to contribute to our correspondence section, here's how you can get in touch with the show. All right, you horrible lot.
1: Here's how you can stay in touch with the show. You
2: can email us at hello at ohwhatatime.com and... You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Oh What a Time Pod. Now, clear off.
1: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place, for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price Priceline. On
0: this week's episode, uh, where we discuss landmarks, I will be talking about the Brooklyn Bridge.
1: I will be talking about Machu Picchu, the Inca citadel that got lost to the forest but then became... A global landmark,
2: And it's very much a home game for, for me today because I'm going to be talking to you about literally one of my favourite places in the world, even to this day I find it exciting to go there, Wembley, Wembley Stadium, wow. the site of Live Aid, the site of England winning the World Cup in 1966, the Olympics in 1948 and 2012, countless memories, an iconic venue and this is the story of how it came to be and of course I will be discussing those famous Twin Towers. Now, this is one of my favourite things to tell people, and I can't wait to bore you with it or excite (laughs) you with it, hopefully the latter. The story of Wembley Stadium and how it began, how the site was chosen. The story starts with a man called Sir Edward Watkin born in 1819, died 1901, a British Member of Parliament, a railway entrepreneur, and he was the chairman of nine different British railway companies. So Edward Watkin was quite interesting because he also started the Channel Tunnel back in the 18. Seventies, I mean, I say he started the, the Channel Tunnel. He did actually do some exploratory digging work, but the whole he wanted to connect the rail network in France to his Grand Central Mainline. But by eighteen eighty-one, that the Channel Tunnel, his Channel Tunnel project had failed. How thorough
1: was this? Was this like on on, on a beach with a bucket and spade on holiday? So how exploratory <laughs> was this? I'm just going to see what just start digging I mean, down. The Channel
2: Tunnel has got a rich history back to the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, yeah. Brave to brave to attempt that. Because even in the 80s, whenever it was, it was the 80s, wasn't it? it, it was mid, felt- in
0: 1986, I think. I remember drawing a picture of what it would look like at school.
1: Uh, did you then send that in and then they used that as the basis
2: for <laughs> construction?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I think when
0: they started construction of the Channel Tunnel, construction started in 1988. And I think, um, I think it must have been on Blue Peter or something. And I thought, yeah, well, I need, I I, I thought, I remember thinking, I need some new ideas for some picture (laughs) stuff. I'll probably be asked to draw a picture tomorrow. Uh, I'll just, I'll just draw the Channel Tunnel. And it was, it was two workmen with like pickaxes working towards each other.
2: Yes, I remember. I remember watching the news. Remember the British and the French engineers when they met in the middle and they shook hands under the Channel Tunnel.
0: Yes, I remember that as well. Yeah.
2: Um, can I just check something? Unless I'm being
1: stupid. So this is 1870s exploratory work into the into the Channel Tunnel. This was this was a time of
2: steam, wasn't it? This is this is steam yes. trains. Then obviously
1: the idea of going into
2: you can actually see. I've seen the pictures. Of the, there is some like. There is some rough illustrations of how it would work, and it is steam engines going under the Channel Tunnel with vents popping up in the chat in the English Channel at various points to facilitate. Plans
0: had begun for a cross-channel fixed link, and as early as the as the 1802, it was talked about. I think Napoleon talked about it.
1: No
2: way, mad, isn't
1: it? Yeah. yeah, I am not I'm mad. Going under the sea in a steam train. Are you mad? I would say that to the designer. I'd say, I don't want to cause offence, but you have lost your mind. You think I'm doing that?
0: Can I just say as well, as someone who obviously has flown to Europe, the Euro the Channel Tunnel is so much better. It's a yeah. much better it way of brilliant. getting to like it France and Belgium. I love it. I did so many of the Euro twenty sixteen to- uh, tournament games on the Channel Tunnel, on the Eurostar.
2: I'm <laughs> you know honestly
0: was- <laughs> uncynically just a massive fan and I love yeah. it. I find it really, really
2: exciting. <laughs> was- and I'm not I'm not taking the piss. That's <laughs> a, a completely genuine opinion. <laughs> The first time I got on the, the the channel tunnel, I was so excited, and then you realise, oh, it's just a tunnel. It's just gone black. Of course, it's just gone yeah. dark for the next forty minutes. That's that's it. I don't know what I was expecting, but I still find that really exciting.
1: I still, I'm sat there going, I'm under the sea. I'm going so fast, yeah. and I'm being served pastries. Yeah, it's like this is I'm living.
0: I'm running, I'm running up and down the carriage, shaking people by the hand, saying, "We're under the fucking sea." <laughs>
1: There's fish up there. Fish. <laughs> Sharks. <Shut up. laughs> Some Shut guy who's trying up. to sort of make money for a charity by, you know, he's struggling at this point, covered in goose yeah. fat. Williams is up there now.
0: <laughs> goose fatted up.
2: Uh, We'd better return to Sir Edward Watkin. So, uh, boo. Say. Uh, he had loads of he had loads of executive appointments in among the railway networks of the UK including chairman of the metropolitan railway and what he wanted to do he he connected the metropolitan line to the present day london underground uh, system and what he wanted to do was get people up into buckinghamshire where this new line was kind of blazing a trail and so He thought we need to create a big tourist experience in in Buckinghamshire. So he looked around and he found in Middlesex a little hamlet called Wembley. He bought a big tract of land and he said, we're going to create like an amusement park here that's going to have boating lakes, a waterfall, ornamental gardens. Uh, We'll have football pitches, cricket pitches, but it needs a main event. It needs... A th- and something, a landmark that everyone will be drawn to. And so he, did, he wanted to create a soaring metal tower that would be explicitly bigger and grander than the Eiffel Tower in Paris. Oh, wow. And he actually asked... Gustave Eiffel, the designer of the Eiffel Tower, to design the tower. But Gustave Eiffel refused, saying the French people would not think me so good a Frenchman as I hope I am. (laughs) So it's a matter of national pride that he didn't help Britain create something more spectacular than the Eiffel Tower. So in order to get people to this uh, amusement park... They built Wembley Park Station, the brand new station on the Metropolitan Railway. It was built to handle the massive crowds that were planned to flock to the park. That station opened in 1893-94. And Wembley Park, the amusement park, opened in May 1894. And it attracted 12,000 visitors during 1895 and was an immensely popular attraction in London. However, so the Watkins Tower, he wanted to build this tower and he asked to to, to to get some public funds in order to able to better facilitate its creation. But he was turned down. No public money was to be spent on the tower. So he mm. went back to the design and he said, let's scrap these eight legs, let's have four legs instead. So when the park opened, they were beginning the construction of the tower. But that design decision... To swap from eight legs to four legs would prove to be absolutely fatal. As they built the first part... So, you know when you look at the Eiffel Tower, that first kind of platform, that first level, they basically got as far as that with the Watkins Tower and immediately started running into trouble. It was going lopsided. It was suffering subsidence. It was wonky in every way a structure could be wonky. And it was that decision to swap from eight legs down to four legs. It put more pressure on the four legs. And the ground wasn't suitable. So early on, as it got to the first day, they were like, this is absolutely messed up. The construction company... ran into immediate problems kind of financing the project that it was running over and so they went into voluntary liquidation in 1899 the work stopped Watkins wow. died in 1901 and the whole site was declared unsafe can I give a quick shout out at this point Chris to the people who were building the leading tower of Pisa
1: who got to that point yeah. and thought no let's <laughs> keep going it's fine I, they thought I
0: reckon we can turn this into a tourist <laughs> yeah, attraction exactly. actually
1: give it hundred years you'll be people stood in the middle distance, pretending they're holding up, holding it up while people take photos of them. That's where the...
0: Can you imagine the stress of being an engineer and you're building a massive tower a tourist attraction and you look at it and you think, no, surely not. And then you stand a little <laughs> bit further back and you're like, oh God. And then you go a little bit further back again
1: and you're like, it's wonky. you made a mistake and you, realize, you look God, down and you realise you're, you're only wearing one shoe and
2: that's why it looked fine. Yeah. Can you imagine the day on site? The day on site, they got the sp- the spirit level out, and they went, "Oh no!" Like yeah. it's uh, like it's such a marginal <laughs> thing, but you think the implications Absolutely. of the spirit level not being level are <laughs> f- terrifying. And Sir Edward Watkin as well, like dying in nineteen oh one, dying as he realizes this catastrophe is unfolding. Oh, that's horrendous! On this yeah. tower. So so Sir so Edward Watkins dies in nineteen oh one, the whole project the the tower is scrapped in eighteen ninety nine and then between nineteen oh four and nineteen oh seven they get the dynamite out and blow the tower to smithereens. Wow. But so they've got this this Wembley Park, they've got all the kind of transport infrastructure in place, and then the nineteen twenty four British Empire exhibition rolls around and they're looking for a site to hold to hold the event. And what better site than Wembley Park that has all that that transport infrastructure, like I say, and was that was meant to have this magnificent tower doesn't, is missing something. So they build the 125,000-capacity British Empire Stadium on the site of the failed Watkins Tower. Well, well, well. Which is incredible, isn't it? On ground that has already been proven
1: to be too soft for construction. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is why you, then, have only won one World Cup.
2: It's a site marked by failure.
0: Yeah, they've been they've been playing on a wonky pitch for, since since 1923.
2: It's like when you play sort of Sunday
1: league when you're 12, and yeah. it's like one half of the game is notably harder than the other because the pitch is at an incredible <laughs> angle. The ball rolls at kickoff. Yeah,
2: absolutely. That's so amazing. The British, uh, the British Empire Stadium was designed by Maxwell Ayrton. Um, and it was really designed to, it was meant to demonstrate the close links between Britain and its empire, particularly India. So the towers, the twin towers, if you don't know if you remember them on the old Wembley Stadium, um, it was that they both had kind of domed roof, roofs that were massively influenced by the Viceroy's house, now the Presidential Palace ah. in Delhi. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. So, they started construction work on the British Empire Stadium in 1922, and it was completed ahead of time uh, for the British Empire Exhibition in 1924. And the British Empire Exhibition was meant to be a showcase of Britain's great passion for and invention of modern spectator s- uh, sport. But interestingly, about the tower, I don't know if you remember as well, there was a huge debate about can we save the towers? Is there yes. a way to reconstruct, yes. a, you I know, do take remember them that. down, and rebuild them? but. Interestingly, the whole stadium, Wembley, was only meant to be uh, a temporary affair. The plan was to build this this stadium for the British Empire exhibition and tear it down shortly afterwards. So the towers themselves were built of this stuff called ferro-concrete, a material that's really easy to kind of put up, but crucially, really easy to pull down. And when the stadium hosted the 1923 FA Cup final... The, the, that vista of those magnificent towers captured everybody's uh, imagination. And by th- in the 1930s, fans themselves were uh, speaking devotedly about the Twin Towers and the aerial photography that was coming around, made it look absolutely magnificent. But in 1925, the, st- the plan changed from knocking down the, the stadium to, do you know what, this is actually quite brilliant. Now that we've got, you know, the exhibition might be gone, but this is a, a brilliant stadium that has to remain. But the thing that really changed was in 1927, uh, the future of Wembley was basically secured by Arthur Elvin, an entrepreneur. He bought Wembley Stadium and he said, this is how we're going to uh, derive a profit. We're going to put Greyhound Racing on. Extremely lucrative in the 20s. Yeah. And it was Elvin who changed its name from the British Empire Stadium to Wembley Stadium. And even it, like in the 90s, and i've heard that in the 60s wembley couldn't actually host one of the world cup games because they were sticking to greyhound racing it was more profitable yeah sorry when when was that chris 66 world cup one of the games had to be moved because wembley refused to move the greyhound racing
1: that's incredible
2: yeah Wembley would, of course, go on to host a whole range of sport, uh, American football, rugby league, baseball, boxing. Uh, It was a backdrop, like I said at the start, from the 1948 Olympic Games, the 1966 World Cup final. And it's the Twin Towers survived in the end far more than was planned. They survived 80 years, and in 2003, they were demolished to make way for the new Wembley Stadium, and when they demolished Wembley Stadium, what did they find underneath those famous twin towers? The foundations of the Watkins Tower. Really? Yeah. That is fascinating.
1: What? What was good yarn that? What sort of? It's made of this material that's meant to be yanked down again.
0: Yeah, they 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 made loads of schools out of it. <laughs> Okay, this week I'm going to be discussing the Brooklyn Bridge, and it is an incredible test of my willpower and fortitude that I'm not doing the entire thing.
1: And that kind of all, oh, well, on the 24th of May, 1883, New Yorkers gathered.
0: I, I I need to not do this. Is that
1: slightly informed by the fact we we get quite a few emails from American listeners? Is there part of you is, is now if you if if you weren't aware of the fact we had an American listening base, you maybe wouldn't be, be doing it. I want them
0: to listen to this section and go, oh, my God, I'm absolutely amazed that he, he wasn't born and bred in Williamsburg. <laughs> so on the 24th of May, 1883, New Yorkers gathered to witness the opening of a bridge that, it, so it was said, could never be built. So it crosses the East River from Manhattan to Brooklyn. Yeah. People said it was impossible, that the gap was just too much for modern engineering. For instance, how could you build the pillars? That was the big question. Now, it's an absolute icon, the Brooklyn Bridge. It's certainly an American icon, Mm. and it's got a cultural history all of its own. There are a few other bridges that I would say are famous. The Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, the Humber Bridge in Hull, uh, the 4th Railway Bridge outside Edinburgh, the Old Bridge in Pontypris. The Old Bridge in Pontypris is amazing because... It's a scheduled ancient monument. It's grade one listed. I think at one point it was one of the biggest single-span bridges in the world, the old bridge in Pontypril. It was built in 1756. And what I love about the old bridge in Pontypril, at one point it was known as the new bridge.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Can I just say, it's never a good idea. I was thinking about this, about Barcelona Stadium, the Camp Nou. Never call something the new thing, you know? It's it's very short-termist.
0: There's an awful, there's an awful lot of places that still have the word millennium in the title.
1: <laughs> was there, was there a brief period where it was called the Middle Age Bridge, out of interest? Or did, was there a yeah, point? That yeah, yeah, one... yeah. The, the, the this Newish Bridge.
0: <laughs> there's a new town in Wales, the, the town in Mid Wales. As you, as you drive in, on the sign it says New Town, a new town since 1279.
1: Yeah. <laughs> there was an Indian takeaway. Uh, near me where I used to live in Hoxton which is called Curry 2000 which I imagined <laughs> for a period made it feel like it was really forward thinking but then as we went past the millennium it just felt like it was increasingly it yeah. is a bit dated. <laughs> because
0: if you were going for a takeaway should we go to Curry 19, 1980?
1: Not really that sounds absolutely terrible. I'll suggest that there'll be sort of like robot waiters and stuff like this. Kind of really, really modern curries.
0: Let's, let's go to 60s kebab. Mm, <laughs> I'm not sure. Now, responsibility for the bridge's design and the construction fell to one family. Uh, John Washington and Emily Roebling and to the Tammany Hall Controlled Construction Company, uh, the New York Bridge Company. Now, John Roebling... Um, So he was born in in Germany in 1806, but he emigrated to the US in 1831 and he took up a career as an engineer specialising in bridge design, particularly suspension bridges. Um, That's a relief, to be honest.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He studied sociology.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, what do you do? I I empty vending machines, actually, but I am willing to have a go at this.
1: But I am free next week, so I'm, (laughs) and I live near the river. So I'm willing to give it a go.
0: It's like when you when you get someone round to work on your house and they look at the thing you want them to do and they go, "Yeah, I've seen a couple of these." And you're like, "No, don't say that you've seen it a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> please, please tell me that you know what you're doing.
2: I've seen a couple of these." I was texting a builder last week and he take I I, I I wanted I need to have my porch looked down. I live in a conservation area and he went. The builder replied, "Yeah, I could I could have a go at that. Have a oh, go at that." <laughs> No. 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 What I want is, I've done this before. No. I
0: need you to approach this with a certain <laughs> level of expertise.
2: <laughs> I yeah, I don't not? want you coming around having a go at things. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah I've, I've, I've seen a couple of them. I've, 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 yeah, I've seen I a couple let of let them. Go. I, I could do that. No, no. No, you do do that. You, you do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All the time.
0: No, he looked... Now, um... Roebling uh, looked to perfect the principles pioneered by people like Thomas Telford and Isambard Kingdom Brunel. Over the years, he designed and he oversaw the construction of a series of suspension bridges in Philadelphia, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh and at Niagara Falls. And this success earned him the commission to design what was initially called the East River Bridge. So the name Brooklyn Bridge came about officially in 1915, although it was informally adopted almost immediately. And he took some of these principles previously used in what was what was known as the Roebling Suspension Bridge in Cincinnati so he he turned a sort of a single arch on each pillar into a kind of double gothic revival arch instead right. so it makes yeah. it look really really iconic yeah. and and it's and it's turned it just from another bridge into a real sort of landmark of late 19th century civilization yeah now the problem was cuz obviously he designed it the problem was, where do you locate it? So in the summer of 1869, he was surveying a probable site, but John Rubling's foot was crushed by a cross-river ferry.
2: I've got quite a basic question. How? Was, was he paddling? And In a dock? Was he dangling it in a dock? He must a... have been dangling it over a dock. <laughs> I reckon,
0: I think I would have time to move my foot out of the way. <laughs> And I, I don't have a go at him. He's clearly a, he's clearly a kev, clever bloke. But yeah. I find it so difficult to believe that this happened. I feel the
1: same, <laughs> Ellis, about anyone who's ever been flattened by a steam train. <laughs> yeah. I mean, surely. You can hear it. You can see the smoke. Yeah. And you have a minimum <whistles> of seven <whistles> minutes to get out the way. Does that not tell you get out the way?
0: <laughs> wow. So it was this, June 28th, Yeah. At Fulton Ferry, he was standing at the edge of a dock... He was working on fixing the location where the bridge would be built and his foot was crushed by an arriving ferry. Oh. Now, again... D- I mean, again, the ferries
2: are slowing down to come into dock. Also,
0: yeah. Uh. It, yes. Now, his, <laughs> his, uh, his injured toes were amputated. Oh. He refused further medical treatment and he wanted to cure his foot by water therapy, the continuous pouring of water over the wound...
1: I'd not I, I I'd assume he'd, he'd find that quite triggering considering what's just happened to him. <laughs> don't, don't bring water into the healing process. You've just had a, a boat <laughs> crush your foot. Do something dry. His, con-
0: his condition deteriorated and he died on July no! the 22nd, 1869 oh, no. of tetanus at no. his home. So it was oh 24 my. days after the accident.
2: Oh my God. So
0: he, he refused sort of proper treatment and uh, I've, 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 I've got to be honest. I've, I've got limited sympathy, <laughs> yeah. mate. You were dangling your foot off a dock. You got crushed by a ferry, and then he poured water over it until you were dead. You've you've had an absolute nightmare. Would you
1: feel confident at the funeral saying that he died doing what he loved? in a way, he <laughs> he's into boats, isn't he? In rivers, so there's an argument you could probably say that. And people go, yeah, in a way, that is right. That is true. He did love yeah. boats.
0: He, a- he insisted on non-medical intervention. <gasps> That's so ins- what can you say? I
2: mean, that's your own fault, isn't it?
0: So now it's his son, John's son, Washington, is tasked with finishing his father's work and construction began on the Brooklyn side on the 2nd of January, 1870. So they're all hungover.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, sorry, what was the 1st of January, did you say?
0: On oh, no, the second of January, Taking so January, yeah, okay. they're,
1: they're, they're, you know, a couple of the
0: younger ones have got two day hangovers, but the sort of the more the more the more sensible ones are like, yeah, I took it easy yesterday. I had a I had a fry up and I went for a walk yeah. in the afternoon. That sorted me out.
1: I can <laughs> guarantee you, Ellis, they did not start at nine a.m. on the second either. They just started <laughs> coming in around half eleven, maybe a couple around lunch. <laughs> <laughs> the first day was not particularly efficient. <laughs> Some of them still with face paint on. <laughs> they haven't quite washed off from two nights earlier. <laughs> yeah, a mesh vest. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs>
0: Washington lasted about a year. Then the experience of working underwater in a pressurised caisson. Oh, so no. this was doing the construction of the bridge pillars. And the caisson provided the foundations. And they're these sort of watertight and it caused him to experience the Benz. So the same effect was apparent across the Bridges' workforce. So people died or they were injured permanently from working in the caisson. So in 1872, for example, at least three men died and more than 100 suffered from decompression sickness. Wow. So in fact, the Benz was first identified as an illness by the project doctor, Andrew Smith, who labelled it caisson disease. So now Washington Roebling the son is bed bound so the task of finishing the Brooklyn Bridge uh, i.e. being the chief engineer that fell to Emily Roebling Washington's wife so it's almost like it's, it's almost like a hereditary position
1: yeah
0: they're like alright well, okay let his son do it well, He's alright he's bed bound but let his wife do it then you'd sort of think there'd be a different <laughs> there'd be a different protocol the, in place her eight year old
1: son crossing his fingers it doesn't come to him, <laughs> him next
0: yeah <laughs> alright let the baby do it <laughs> Can a cat do it? Now, she was effectively in charge of the building project from the time her husband fell in in 1870 until the bridge was completed in 1883. Now, incredibly, her involvement in the bridge was recognised even at the time. So her story's not one of those that had to be rediscovered, Yeah, although it was minimised during much of the 20th century, but still reminds us... Uh, that the great legacy of the Brooklyn Bridge is that it exists because of her persistence and skill. Incredible. So on the front page of the New York Times on the 23rd of May 1883, the day before the bridge is great and failing to the public, Emily's role was praised, which is really, really important. The paper wrote, Mrs. Roebling applied herself to the study of engineering and she succeeded so well that in a short time she was able to assume the duties of a chief engineer. When bids for the steel and ironwork for the structure were advertised, it was found that entirely new shapes would be required. This necessity New patterns and representatives of the mills, desiring to bid, so they went to New York to consult with Mister. Roebling. The surprise was great when Missus Roebling sat down with them and, by her knowledge, helped them out with their patterns and cleared away difficulties that had for weeks been puzzling their brains. Amazing. So her skill and her initiative and her abilities were recognised at the time, which, when you consider that it was the 1880s, is 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 really really significant. As for the success of the bridge, more than 150,000 people crossed it on the first day. Wow. And by the end of the decade, annual patronage had risen to more than 34 million. I've got to be honest, when a new bridge is built, and for a long time it was regarded as impossible because the span was too wide, I think I'd leave it a day (laughs) before crossing it. I think I'd cross it on the second day.
1: So, I'm going to take you back, back in time, and I'm going to talk to you about Machu Picchu, which is the incredible Inca citadel, which is perched high in the Andes mountains in Peru. Uh, And I'm going to tell you about how it became one of the new wonders of the world, alongside Petra in Jordan, the Colosseum and the Taj Mahal. Um, So I'll start with a bit of context about who the Incas were. The Incas were, um, you may know, an incredibly powerful civilization who at their height had the largest empire in the world, stretching right along the Pacific coast of South America, um, from modern day Peru, Ecuador, Bolivia, Chile, um, and northwest Argentina. Uh, And to this day, it remains the largest empire to ever exist in the Americas. Wow. Its capital, I know, it's amazing, its capital was Cusco, but today its most well-known city uh, is Machu Picchu. Now, have either of you been to Machu Picchu? Just to- No, uh, you haven't. Sadly not. Now, you've, you've seen the images of it, have you? It's
2: incredible. Yes. Whenever someone goes travelling in South America, I've seen the pictures. You've seen the pictures. Everyone. <laughs> <goes> <laughs> it. If you've ever had a mate who's gone travelling in South America, you've seen it. It's on Facebook. And they've told you, oh, I have to get up at 3am to start tracking up. Bore off! well <laughs> You say, but bore please
1: off. tell me about Machu. Well, I'm about to tell you more about that trek. So, uh, <laughs> thank you for the absolute lack of lack of interest before I head into a section which is on that trek. So, your friend, who you've told to bore off, uh, will have taken an eight thousand feet walk. Basically, you have to get up to eight thousand feet to get up to Machu Picchu. Um, which I, incidentally, I, I wouldn't mind. I, I, I don't have a problem walking somewhere if I'm going to a thing. I don't know if you're the same as this, but I don't like walking for the sake of walking. That's where I so am. So you don't like ambling. I don't like ambling. But if I know I'm going to a particular place, then I'm okay with doing a walk, even if yeah. it's long.
0: So, so, for instance, Izzy went away with two of her best friends from school at the weekend. Yeah. And on the Saturday, they went for a
1: walk. Not for me. Not for me. It's aimlessness. Yeah, 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 yeah. To stick something, say we're going to have a pint in a pub at the end of it, or we're going to yeah. there's a, a, a particular brook or something I want to look at. Just end just anything, so I have feel I feel there's some kind of focus could, as to where I we're going. I could get
0: you out the house with the promise of a brook. And,
1: <laughs> you'd be more likely to tempt me out if you just said we're just going to walk around for forty minutes. It's, just, it's not for me. I don't know. I'd okay. rather just sort of sit down for forty minutes. But anyway. Um, When you get to the top of this place, uh, when you've got to 8,000 feet, you'll find an array of ruins, just to describe to listeners who aren't familiar with it. There's stone-built houses, secular religious buildings, gardens and canals, all set in these incredible tiers. 8,000 feet? It's amazing, isn't it? And terraces along a plateau. Bloody hell. It's really, really high up, and it's this incredible set of ruins up there. Now... When these ruins were first discovered at the start of the 20th century, it was claimed that Machu Picchu was thousands of years old. However, using carbon dating, archaeologists have concluded that the site was actually built in the middle of the 15th century. So it's actually only about 600 years old. Oh. Rubbish. Oh, is it? Yeah, it is. This is the amazing thing, which really doesn't seem that long ago. I always thought it was way
2: older. Exactly.
1: It doesn't seem that long ago, especially considering the stuff the Incas used to get up to. So I'm going to give you a little refresher of some of these things. I want to get your thoughts on these. Now, considering this is only 600 years ago, they used to do human sacrifice consistently to appease the gods at at regular intervals throughout the year. Uh, Often young people, and this is the fact that I find bleakest, the parents would often... Put the uh, put their children forward forward for it.
2: Oh, yeah. Come on. The
1: bodies would be laid in um, the freezing ice in the mountains. Basically, that's what's happened. That's how they preserve them. Uh, and then, once again, just to remind you: this is only six hundred years ago. They would be dug up um, regularly to be consulted on on important issues in the community and to be present at ceremonies like marriage. So they 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 dig up, for example, your grand. Wow. And They pop, pop her on the front row. Uh, of, of your marriage wow. I, I, I was thinking about that I would be annoyed as a guest if I'm looking at the seating plan and I realise I've
2: been stuck <laughs> by a frozen gran <laughs> are you kidding me you know when it gets late on at a wedding everyone's a bit drunk and, and, and you know you're not going to put grandma back that night are you
0: <laughs> no but you, you'd want to do it ASAP before she thaws out <laughs>
2: Straight after the ceremony, before the reception really gets them, the the canapes and champagne. So,
1: it is believed that Machu Picchu was finally abandoned towards the end of the 16th century in the wake of the invasion of the Incan territory by the Spanish conquistadors. Now, the Spanish destroyed loads of Inca buildings uh, during their conquest. They built Catholic churches on the sites where they destroyed these buildings. However, the reason that Machu Picchu remains so well preserved and i think this is fascinating is the fact that the spanish never found it that's partly due to the location right in the jungle but also or up a mountain in the jungle also because there's evidence that the incas themselves as they abandoned it they burnt all the paths up to it destroyed all the ways uh, that people would spot how to reach this incredible place and then it basically got swallowed up once again by the jungle and then was forgotten And it it lay there for some uh, 500, 600 years without anyone knowing it was there. Okay, so it was just hidden in the jungle, this huge city just hidden in the jungle. Now, hidden, that is, until it was finally rediscovered just before the First World War. So that's so long, if you think about it. Incredible, isn't it, really? And the person who claimed credit for discovering it was an American academic and explorer. His name was Hiram Bingham who arrived on the 24th of July, 1911, during an expedition funded by Yale University and the National Geographic. Now, the way he describes the mission is proper Indiana Jones stuff. I'd like you to tell me at which point of this you're, you're turning back, OK? On the road up to the Citadel, Bingham and his party po- uh, passed poisonous snakes, some dead, others very much alive. Several of the pack animals that accompanied the explorers were killed by these snakes. As although um, as as an ominous warning of the death to come. Any, anyone? Leave? Okay.
0: I don't feel great so far. Okay, fine. But I've come this. I've I've come this far. Yeah, and I'm desperate to get a promotion at work, so I'm sticking with it. You're
2: sticking with it, Tom. Isn't this your uh, ultimate nightmare? Like an amble. They don't, they don't know what they're looking for exactly. <laughs> That's a very good and, uh, point, actually. Yeah. I mean, if you don't even like the amble, never mind them. Throw in some poisonous snakes, and I think is doubly rubbish. So are you, are you sticking with it, Chris? You're, you're sticking with this,
1: with this animal? I just don't lie. I just don't Yeah, think. you're out. So Ellis is still part of the, of, of, the, of the group. Chris has dropped out already. Yeah. Elsewhere, the group had to cross rivers in raging torrents using only simple rope bridges that seemed always to snap, threatening to snap. So they were basically old rope bridges that were hundreds of years old, clinging on by a thread across torrential rivers. Are you um, you're going across those, El? How are you feeling uh, about that?
0: I'm a very weak swimmer. Okay. But desperate to get this promotion at work,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and as your Bro-
0: so I'm sticking with it.
1: And your as your Brooklyn uh, section shows, you love bridges as well. So that's uh, yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And then finally, they had to hack their way through the thick jungle using only machetes, with no idea what was in there with them. So this is the final push. So they're hacking through the jungle with machetes, with no idea what's around them.
0: I've suddenly got a very low boredom threshold. Okay. Yeah. And so the the endless hacking.
1: <laughs> That's the point.
0: I think at this stage I've mean, be like, "Oh, sod it."
1: So you'll turn around back across the Threadbare bridge past all the dead donkeys which have been bitten by snakes. Yeah.
0: It's a it's an extra six grand a year, but to be honest, the the extra responsibility would <laughs> piss me off. So I th- I th- I th- I'll bow out at this stage.
2: Do, do they know where they're going? Are they heading for a place, or are they just they're just having an amble? No, well they no oh, they, they they
1: sort of coincidentally found it. So uh, and eventually they found Machu Picchu and. On his return to the United States, Bingham wrote up what he'd found, uh, with his articles and photographs appearing in Harper's Magazine in 1912, National Geographic soon after. Can you imagine
0: the thrill of finding it? Yes. It would be extraordinary.
2: Absolutely. I think it's probably one of the great discoveries on Earth, isn't it? Yeah. No, it it, it it absolutely is. It, it completely is. It, it's uh, unparalleled, really. This it's that Tutankhamun's tomb, the foundations of the Watkins Tower. It's
1: <laughs> my the great. Well, and, and in my case, it was is combining Oreo salt vinegar crisp and milk in one mouthful. That for me is the greatest <laughs> discovery I've ever. <laughs> that is up there. If anyone hasn't done that, that is that is joy itself. Okay. So he wrote these articles when he got back to America, National Geographic, Harper's Magazine, and very quickly, his discovery turned into a global sensation. And before long, he and modern mass media had made Machu Picchu into a landmark. However, and it is a big however, guys. Are you ready for this? Yeah. He hadn't discovered it first, and he knew it. But. Ba- <gasps> ba- ba- <gasps> So you got there first. We will find out here. On his 1911 trip... This is so dark. Bingham had found some charcoal graffiti on one of the stones. It was a name and a date. A. Lizarraga, 1902. The name of the person who had beaten him to the city, Agustin uh, Lizarraga Ruiz, a Peruvian farmer who'd arrived some nine years earlier in 1902. In fact... Hiram Bingham's very own diary on the 25th of July, 1911, the day after he discovered Machu Picchu, he wrote, Augustin uh, Lizarraga is the discoverer of Machu Picchu and lives at San Miguel Bridge just before passing. So he wrote down in his own diary, he knew this guy had found it. He found out who he was. He knew where he lived. And worse than that, however, Bingham ordered the removal of his name and date <sighs> from the stone, citing preservation reasons. And then realising that being seen as a person who discovered Machu Picchu would make him famous and rich, over the coming years, he worked to completely remove the idea that this Peruvian farmer had found Machu Picchu. And to this day, the American, not the Peruvian, gets the credit for finding Machu Picchu and sparking the tourist trade that continues to the present day.
0: He he was just an explorer
1: under farmer he was just can
0: you imagine how he'd
1: have felt yeah I know absolutely he'd
0: be walking back down to the bottom from the summit he'd be like you will never guess what's up there <laughs> <laughs> you I I it is absolutely mental what's up there you'd also s- you'd sound nuts wouldn't you yeah what what why do I look so excited hidden bloody city up there mate <laughs> yeah I don't know, 500 years?
1: <laughs> so thanks for listening yet again, guys. Thank you for giving us your time. Um, we really appreciate all the support you, you give us. It means, it means the world. If you are enjoying the show... And you've yet to leave a five-star review with lovely words written underneath, possibly in Latin, that we'll try and translate in a later episode. Do do so now. Pop on and, uh, and spread the word. Because it helps get the word out about this show. And um, also, just to reiterate, we have a big announcement coming next week. So tune in for that. And if you have any one-day time machine suggestions you want to send our way, any drawings of what the one-day time machine should look like, what the buttons do in the one-day time
2: machine, send them in, or any other correspondence, send them in our way. I mean, you can just email us at hello at oh what a time.com. And don't forget you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at owattatimepod. Oh we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.